Ah, oh, time to get ready for this Valencia test. It's gonna be easier next year, guys. Let me get my shirt on. It's gonna be Jorge's years, guys. <laughs> um, about that. What do you mean mm. about that? Let me go to motorsport.com. Oh my god. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. You are the world champion! Hello everybody, I'm back, hello, welcome to episode 223 of Motorsport 101, I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and uh, oh boy, we had another shocking announcement in the world of motorsport, this time on two wheels, rather than four for once. And uh, it's one we will break down right at the top of the show. Uh, the shock retirement of one Jorge Lorenzo uh, in MotoGP. We'll break we'll break down everything that happened. The subsequent news of his replacement, which is again has, again caused more shock waves um, in MotoGP. And of course, we'll break down the season finale at Valencia itself, where Mark Marquez took his twelfth victory of the season in a nineteen race calendar. And as RJ pointed out in the pre-show, the cherry on top of what could very well be the greatest season in the history of MotoGP um, from a from a statistical standpoint. Certainly, um, a ridiculous season. All told, and this was a lot of there was a lot of drama at this Grand Prix weekend with him, with Johan Zarco, with Mark Marquez, um, with the, some of the lower category races as well. A lot went down. It was uh, it was a fun weekend. Maybe not the most exciting on paper, but certainly chaotic. And we like that on this show. Oh, and some race in Brazil happened too. Nothing of note happened whatsoever in the final twelve laps of a race that was basically sprinkled with LSD. Let's just let's just say. Valtteri Bottas' smoking car enabled all hell to break loose. If you have not seen this, trust me, stick around for the second half of the show. It's the only reason it's second is because we had such a big announcement in the first quarter of the the show with with Lorenzo and whatnot, but we will get to the Formula 1 race in Brazil, and it was chaos in the second half. Well, really, more like the final quarter of that one. Let's just say... It was a Formula One race, and a NASCAR race broke out. <laughs> it was fun, to say the least. Yeah, interestingly enough, it was even more entertaining than the NASCAR championship deciding race that we had this weekend. Congrats, Kyle Busch. Congrats, Kyle Busch. Yay. We're all happy for you. <clears throat> Anywho, um, we'll also talk about Macau as well, as and, and all the chaos that happened down there as well. It, it, you see, it's, it's, it's a bit of a theme this week, if you've made a lot of notes already. Um, and as RJ puts in this set list, do you ever just get so mad that your lead driver quits that you end your manufacturer involvement? Oh. A big shocker today in the world of world of world rallying. Uh, we'll get into that as well later on in the show, and we'll catch up a little bit with IndyCar silly season as some of the last few seats get wrapped up over there. We got a big announcement yesterday. Actually, no, today actually it was this morning uh, with Renus VK going over to Ed Carpenter Racing. We'll talk a little bit about about that as well in the second half of the show. With me as always is RJ O'Connell. Who, <laughs> say hi, RJ again. So, guys, uh, a short view back to the past. Um, 
four years ago, uh, Ryan King said, uh, Dre, you should make a podcast and people will mm-hmm. listen to it. Uh, three weeks ago, um, we had said that, am I doing this right? <laughs> Can you repeat the question? <laughs> um <laughs> Still, maybe Sebastian's all-time funniest line. Um, <laughs> that was genius. <laughs> Even though I would that one that quickly. Hello as well, Mr. Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. Yes, I, I am happy because the New York Jets have won a football game. You mean you've ruined your own tank? <laughs> Let, let's not discuss that. I'm pretty sure we'll beat... No, I'm pretty sure we'll lose to Cincinnati in two weeks. You do realise if you lose to the Bengals who are currently 0-10, I will eviscerate you on this podcast next week, right? <laughs> yes, but that's... Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, I will be painting the walls with your blood. <laughs> Trust me. Jesus. It will not be pretty. Jesus. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to have to have a whole new... Who are we going to get to replace King? We'll, we'll get Cam back. It'll be fine. <laughs> just, just have him grow a moustache. It'll be fine. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, places you can find this real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. All right, and saying RJ, two N's, two L's. Alright. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've got to incorporate that as part of the phrase. Yes, and also and also um a Renault F one driver's name is also in my surname. <laughs> Indeed. It helps. It's very useful. Helps with the spelling. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. And that includes our special Formula E season preview, which is probably already out by the time you're listening to this. But you can check that out if you haven't already. I mysteriously get uh, replaced with this uh, really awesome Formula E journalist from East London and, and suddenly become a lot more feminine. And way more intelligent. It happens. <laughs> Insideelectric.com. That is inside-electric.com. Yes, yes. Absolutely, absolutely follow and support them. There's some real powerhouse names, including two former guests of this show, Hazel Southwell and Katie Fairman, who have both been repeat guests on this show. They are awesome. Go give them your time and support. They are awesome, and they are bound to produce fantastic Formula E content. So I'll be absolutely tuned in to some of that as well. And, of course, special thanks to Hazel for filling in on such short notice. I think she's she's flying out to Saudi Arabia. I think she's just... Ari flew yeah, out. Just, Already flew well, by the time this goes out, King, yes, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Let me play along with this, oh, all right? Even, even at the time of recording... Why, why are you doing this to me, man? <laughs> why, why, why you got to ruin my fun, King? You know? For God's sake. Uh, Gotta give people the correct information. <sighs> fucking nerd. <laughs> yes, that's true. So all of our shows are available for $5. And if you back us at the $10 level, you can get into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded and interact with us. The show hosts. So, yeah, sh- massive shout-out to Oliver, to uh, Vic, to Vince, to James. Enjoy the test match that's going on in the background as we speak. That starts in about half an hour. 
Ah, uh, we're going to beat New Zealand again for the third time. Oh dear. The Kiwis must hate our guts by now. And Steve as well. Thanks to uh, everybody who's tuning in. He's totally not in remorse over Tottenham's manager. Um, <clears throat> welcome back, Uncle Jose. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's not the first year you have to worry about. It's, it's the third. It's the third. It's, it's the third. Year three is always the problematic one. Um, but uh, yes, all of that on and all the details of that as well are on our website. They are on motorsport101.com where I've been writing a lot. I promised a I, lot. I I would promise. I promised a good friend of mine, one Ali Herker, that uh, I would write ten thousand words of content on the site in the month of November. And I'm nearly there. Um, I'm at 8,800 as we speak. Um, Got two weeks left. Well, a week and a half left. I'm looking good, folks. I'm looking good. I can ease her in gently uh, in that sense, yeah. So, um, you know, Dre versus Dre, the mayor's impeachment is on there. Lewis Hamilton, my Lewis Hamilton piece is on there. Uh, a fun Ask Me Anything post is up there now as well, um, where you guys got to, well, literally ask me anything, including questions on just how good is the 2020 F1 grid, um, who's going to be Marquez's latest challenger, um, no one, um, who's going to be uh, F1's next cult hero, come on, it's Lando Norris, um, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush, as well as who my favourite dinosaur is, and... My basically a very important question: What was my three favorite ever episodes of Motorsport 101? You can find out the answer to all those questions and a whole lot more on motorsport101.com forward slash blog. Look for the Ask Me Anything post with my ugly mug in it. It's in there. Check it out. As well as two new pieces I put up over the course of the last week: one on a certain someone's retirement, which I wrote on Sunday. I'm Really enjoyed that one. I'm really, really lucky if you check that one out. And my full MotoGP 2019 season review uh, is all up on the website as well. I will post links to all of that in the description down below as well. But uh, thanks everyone that's been reading those and sending in your very kind feedback. It's very much appreciated. You guys are awesome. And uh, yeah, one more piece will probably take me over 10,000 for the month. So thanks everyone that's been rooting, that's been cheering me on for that. It's been a really fun time actually. I've really enjoyed getting back into my writing again. It's uh. It's something that I, I really should try and do more often. But, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for that one. I do really, really appreciate it. Um, but, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get into the show. And after this quick musical interview, we'll be back to talk about MotoGP's Grand Prix of Valencia and the shock retirement heard around the world. I always thought there are four significant days in the life of a, of a rider. The first one is when... Is your first race. The second one is your first win. Then your first world championship. Not everyone can win the world championship, but some of us made it. And then uh, the day you retire. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I, I think it's okay for me to say this now because now it's already happened. But um, I distinctively remember hearing the news on, I think it was Thursday morning, um, that Jorge Lorenzo was calling a quote, um, a expected press press conference, a, a special press, a conference. special press conference, and I immediately put on Twitter at the time, wait, is Jorge Lorenzo hanging it up? And then, I shit you not, this is a true story. About three minutes later, 
our friend and yours, Lewis, may have messaged me uh, on Facebook saying, yeah, it's true. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you, know when you, you know when you hate being right sometimes? Like... Yeah. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, well, let's say it. Jorge Lorenzo called it a career. Effective this weekend, his time in MotoGP has come and passed. It's one of those incidents where it's like I think Luke Smith summed it up better than I could, where he said, um, "It was like it was a complete shock, but also completely unsurprising," and. It took me a while for that to sink in, but I could totally see where he was coming from in hindsight, because when you put the pieces together, especially when you listen to his retirement speech, it all falls into place. But I think it's something that we may have suggested in the back of our heads, but I don't think we ever would have thought it would actually happen so soon. Um... Because Lorenzo is still only 32 years old. He's got plenty of fight left in him if he wanted it. Um, but I mean, like, thinking in the context of how MotoGP is now, he wasn't going to go up the field on the Honda, and there was nowhere else to seriously go and be a title contender, because he's a three-time top-class champion. Yeah, like, we we saw him try earlier in the year. He was talking to Pramac about maybe going over there and taking Jack Miller's seat in Austria, which didn't go down well with Jack um, and a lot of people in the paddock that Lorenzo was desperate to see when he to get out of Honda. But it's funny, because we talk about this now. There was the one big catalyst that led to Lorenzo's retirement, and it was, well, it was the fact that it was the Assen crash. The it was Friday practice. The Assen crash where he has a a big high slide. He flips into the gravel repeatedly at about a hundred plus miles an hour. It's a very fast right hander on that second sector at Assen. He he flips and rolls into the gravel, and as he was rolling through it, he was literally saying to himself, "Why am I suffering like this?" And I think that was what planted the seed of doubt as to whether he could continue doing this. And as the great Toby Moody said on Twitter um, at the time, once that seed of doubt gets planted in an athlete's head, it's very hard for it to go away. And he said to himself that he tried. You know, he went home, he he rehabbed. I mean, let's also be real here. That back injury was a lot more serious than I think people gave it credit for at the time. The one that he got picked up last year, I believe? Partially, yes, but it was it. He broke his back basically. He he broke a vertebra in his back. Um, he was out for a month. You know, the summer break was right next to it, which kind of helped. But he still his his comeback was pushed back all the way to Silverstone after the break. So that was so he basically missed. I want to say four races because of that because of that injury. He he missed four races. Came back at Silverstone. And then basically scored seven, like seven. Actually, scored he scored nine points on the comeback from his vertebrae injury. He was never quite the same after that. He was, and even then, that was it was a very short comeback. Is what happened later on in the year. Yeah, precisely. And he had four straight races where he wasn't even in the points. 
Um, that's how bad Lorenzo's fall had, had gotten. And like you said, I, I think he just gave up the will to keep trying to come back. And because that's a right. that, that, that's a key part of Lorenzo's career that not that isn't that isn't often spoken about. He is one of the toughest men I've ever seen take part in motorsport. Point Without blank. A doubt. Point blank. Like I still remember some. Of, he's had some of the most visually shocking incidents in MotoGP history because we associate Lorenzo with being like so buttery smooth as a rider. You know, an incredibly smooth, and fluid riding style. So when he do, when he has an accident, we 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 take notice. Probably a little bit more right. than usual. And I remember the big one he had at Laguna Seca where he was basically high-sided so massively he was basically upside down when he like vertically upside down when he hit the gravel on off the back of his head and was somehow okay you know and i mentioned it in my retirement piece i'm sure you guys know what i'm talking about but the Aston high side in 2013 where he had a high side on a wet Aston up the back straight at 150 miles an hour Broke, broke his collarbone or landed on his shoulder when he landed broke his collarbone he flew back to Barcelona to have surgery on it that afternoon um, on like on Thursday afternoon put a plate put into it flew back to Assen via private jet got back on the bike and raced and finished in fifth are you fucking kidding me <laughs> oh god but like as, as much like as much as he's shown the, the you know, straight-up force of will to come back from these injuries, they build up, and they shorten your career. They do. Like, he, like you mentioned, he's only 32. Yeah. He probably doesn't have the body of a 32-year-old. Right, Danny Pedrosa was pretty much the same age when he called it quits at the end of his career mm. last season. Uh, I can distinctly remember uh, having conversation. I believe it was Lewis that had told us that, like, you know, there are days where one day he'll wake up and he'll say, I I, I wanna I just wanna call it a career right there. I don't know if I wanna keep doing this anymore. But then he'll have a sleep, he'll wake up the next day and be like, I've still got something left to prove. I could still go out there and win races and compete for a title. I'm going to keep see this thing out to the end. And ultimately he decided that it was it was time to hang it up. The injuries had mounted too much, and it had affected his form so, so drastically. Like, this was sad watching him throughout this season. Yeah. It, it did remind me a lot of Pedrosa, because that's the thing with Pedrosa. He was obviously never quite Marquez, which is no insult at all, of course, in, in, when they were teammates together at Repsol Honda. But with Pedrosa, he didn't really have a major drop-off until the end of his final season. With Lorenzo, you could see it this year on the Honda. He was not the same rider. Let's not forget, less than a year ago, he was still winning races. Like, 18, 18 months ago, he won three times last year for a Ducati, for a Ducati team that had already choose, chosen to replace him with, with Danilo Petrucci for 2019. Um, and then Lorenzo went on a revenge tour. You know, he won at Catalonia. You know, he... One in Austria, he beat Marquez in a track. He's the, the one track on the calendar, you know, that Marquez has not won around to complete the calendar Grand Slam. And he, he won three Grand Prix that year, and he was still looking good. And as Cam points out in the chat, 
it was really a, a staggering build-up of the last year and a half, really, because the last race he raced where he was fully healthy was Masano last year. And that was a race he crashed out from second place in. He was fighting Marquez for second, and he binned it. Um, he goes to Aragon a, a, a couple of weeks later. You know, I think he, I think he broke his toe on that first corner incident he had at that Grand Prix. Then he goes to Thailand. He has that awful electronic high side. The, the, the electronics on the bike failed. It flipped him off the bike, and he basically broke his arm. Um, broke his arm. Broke his wrist. Damaged his ankle, had to sit out four races to the point where Bautista had to come in and cover him. You may remember at Phillip Island, um, where he came in and finished in fourth. Um, I still remember Brother Ryan crying his eyes out on that one. It was a, it was a fun weekend. Um, but Lorenzo's just not been healthy, and as King says, he's spot on. These things do add up, and I, like I said, in Lorenzo's mind, Assen was one too many, and. Like I said it before in my piece I wrote about this, I just said, look, we often forget that these guys are gladiators. And we forget there is a very human element to sport in general, but even even more so motorsport, given how emotionally invested we are in motorsport. The fans that love motorsport like we do, we put our hearts and souls into this shit. We really do. We really do. Uh, for, for better and for worse. Absolutely. And I think we often forget the mental side of that sometimes when it comes to like when it comes to people that we look up to, uh, respect and admire. And Lorenzo is absolutely one of those guys. And his, like, his retirement speech, if you haven't found it, go out of your way to, to see it. It's on motorsport.com. It's, it's over there in full. It was heartbreaking to watch. Like, I was genuinely emotional watching him because he was on the brink of tears himself. Just, they, they played a thank you tribute video to him um, that the social media team had very, very quickly uh, ruffled up together um, to make happen. And he was virtually in tears. Um, and and it was he, he, he was talking about how he just didn't have the strength to keep doing this he didn't have the willpower for it he knew that this was the end and you know he saying he he he, had, he felt like he had to apologize to Honda and that is heartbreaking that he felt guilty almost for taking a seat and ended up his season and his the end of his career just falling apart like that it was awful to see Jorge Lorenzo, who is by any measure one of the six or seven best bike riders to ever grace this earth. He really is. Yeah. He really is. Uh, I'll break it down here for you. Like, he had eight consecutive years finishing in the top three of the points. He had nine consecutive winning seasons. Three times a premier class champion. Two more in the intermediate class. Any way you measure it, he's one of the best of all time. And when he was in his prime when he was winning, Jorge Lorenzo made it look effortless. He really did. The only other man to take a title in the era of Marquez. He has beaten every prolific rider of the last 20 years. Um, and on a, on a personal level, like I mentioned this before, like he, he did it his way. And that's something I will always admire most about Jorge, was that he never beat the drum of of some of the other legends around him, even when he was younger, even when 
that's the thing. Lorenzo was never the popular one. He was never the likable one. He was never the people's champion. He's not a Marquez or a Valentino. Um, that's, again, kind of a given, really. Um, no one was ever going to touch Dosi for popularity, but he was never even a Pedrosa who was the more likable babyface when Lorenzo and Pedrosa was beefing with each other. Um, you know, they were both fighting for Spanish column sporting inches because... Spain was in a sporting resurgence. Rafa Nadal was winning Grand Slams. The football team was on an unparalleled run of dominance. Um, Europeans and World Cup victories. Um, but Lorenzo was a key player in putting bike racing back on the map in Spain. Him and Danny Pedrosa in the mid-2000s. That was the birth of the golden era of bike racing talent. You know, we had him, Pedrosa, Rossi, Hayden, Stoner... Uh, you know, Ben Spees came over. James Tozen is a lot better than I think people gave him credit for in his, in his GP career. Colin Edwards. Uh, and eventually, Andrea De Vizioso and Mark Marquez. That, we, we've never had it this good. And Lorenzo was a key part of that birth of the rise of the golden era of bike racing. And, yeah, he's been through it all. And I, I distinctively remember him st- sticking up to for guys like Mark... Like, standing up to guys like Marco Simoncelli, who... God rest his soul, you know, was a brilliant rider, but was incredibly aggressive to the point of reckless and sometimes dangerous. And everyone was on Marco's side about, you know, you got to go for it, you got to be aggressive and whatnot. And Lorenzo was like, no, you're going to get somebody hurt if you keep if you keep doing this. And he was being laughed at in the press conference, but Lorenzo wouldn't back down. And I've always admired just how brave he was to go against those enormous public pressures of people like Marco people like Valentino when the Sepang 2015 incident happened Lorenzo was the other man fighting for the title and he had all sorts of abuse hurled at him and booze and abuse and claims of conspiracy and and fraud in to try and you know Marquez was accusing him of basically helping a fellow Spaniard win the title which was absolutely not the case but you know Lorenzo had to take the brunt of somebody else's mistake but he had this unparalleled level of mental fortitude to shrug it all off and still ride at an incredibly high level for over a decade in GP. And yeah, like like I said, one of the best ever, without any shadow of a doubt. A top six or seven rider I think that's ever graced this sport. His presence will certainly be missed. Um, and if anything, and I mentioned again, I mentioned this in my written piece, I said, this is kind of the end of the alien era. It Lorenzo was kind of the last one. And he's now gone. And now it's really just Valentino. And even he is a shadow of his former self. Um, and if this isn't really the final chat, the final page in before we make write, write a new chapter of the Marquez era you know, um, because Valentino is probably, as James points out, Valentino is probably retiring at the end of next season. He's pretty much all but said it, that, uh, you know, next season will be his last. Um, That'll be it. And it really will be the era of Marquez. But, yeah, Lorenzo is kind of the the last of his kind in that sense. And that makes me a bit sad, you know? It does. It does, and time goes on, I suppose. But man, it's it was just really hard to watch him go through this season. I hope he'll have time to 
to for his body to heal and for him to continue to contribute to the to the world of motorcycle racing obviously because he's he's it, it was fantastic to watch him mm. when he was riding at his best and that's the beauty of it because it wasn't popular he he wasn't the most captivating or entertaining guy on track but those who knew the nuances of bike race and appreciated just how bloody brilliant or how fast he was and Ooh, yeah i've said it before the sport needed guys like that it needs like sometimes sport needs an anti-hero and Jorge Lorenzo was the ultimate motorsporting anti-hero. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a particularly good guy, but he was a guy that you fought, you had you had to respect, and he forced you to respect. And that's a beautiful thing. And you know, I, I, one of my most favorite Drebrief videos I ever did was the Drebrief talking about it. I said I said I called I compared him to Lex Luthor. Um, in a world where Valentino was still the most popular figure by a mile and Lorenzo was getting abused by BT Sport broadcasters for daring to do the shark fin celebration that Rossi had painted on his helmet to try and wind him up, you know, and like I wanted to point out the struggles that Lorenzo had for not being the popular one, but god damn he was so good. And, you know, I hope, I hope he finds some peace because... He spoke at length about how mentally challenging and how burdening it was on numerous occasions. Like, like he gave a lot of his time to BT Sport over the last couple of years, and he's been very candid about talking about his struggles. And I've admired the crap out of him for that for quite some time because that shit ain't easy. And they interviewed him again at the end of his final race on MotoGP's Checkered Flag broadcast, and. Um, he said something that stuck with me at the end, and he said, when I crossed the line at the end, I felt free. Happy retirement, Jorge. It's been an honour and a privilege to watch you race. And like I said, I hope you find some peace in whatever you decide to do next. A salute to one of the very, very best this sport has ever seen. And uh, yeah, gracias, Jorge. It's been a pleasure. We did have a race this weekend as well. <laughs> uh, we and, and also, shout out to James who mentioned how to get this in as well. His celebration with the, the title number five and the five race suits, that was awesome. I will give you that. I completely agreed. Uh, especially given one of them was quite fat. I thought that was quite funny. I was like, look, 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 look. Spain's number one. Spain's number one. <laughs> what, what a boy. And shout out to him jumping in the river that time in her F. That was great. Almost... Almost, almost drowned in his levers. Brilliant. <laughs> Could have been a very different story at the end of that race. Jeez. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, oh dear. But um, yes, uh, we had a race this weekend as well. And uh, in shocking news, Mark Marquez won in Valencia. Um, yeah, I know, I know, I know. You're all, you're all shocked and surprised. Yeah, Fabio Quattararo put it on pole position in the end with. Uh, a 129.9. He was the only man under one minute thirty. Um, his sixth pole position of the of the season, believe it or not. Marquez and Jack Miller joining him on the front row. Maverick Vinales fourth. But in the race itself, Marquez uh, was following Fabio in the early going. Um, got back up into second place, chased down Fabio, and 
we thought always oh, is Mark going to uh, is Mark going to try and you know sucker punch him on the final lap again? You know, save his tires. Nope, he went early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It took him eight laps, and Mark was just like, "I'm, I'm done. I'm done playing games." Pretty much. Um, I think about. I think it was about eight or nine laps in. He passed him into that deep turn eleven hairpin and didn't look back. Uh, basically, and as Cam points out, rips Fabio's heart out again. Um, I'm just going to look at the scoreboard one second real quick. I'm just going to do a little bit of maths in my head here, but uh, I do believe that's the fifth time this season Fabio Quattararo has been beaten to a win by Mark Marquez this season. Oh. He's finished he's, he's finished in second place five times this season, Every second place he's finished, he's finished second to Mark Marquez. And that is, again, we're kind of underselling at times towards the end of the season because now we're just like at a point where we just, we expect this at minimum out of Fabio Cordero now. That is amazingly good for a rider in their first Premier Class full season, even in a post-Marquez era. That's still very impressive. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, again, he... But now we're going to be like, hey, don't print out t-shirts, y'all. <laughs> Look, we can't have Rookie of the Year t-shirts. They're not a real thing. <laughs> but, uh, no. All, all, this has been the best rookie season the Riders had since Mark Marquez debuted in 2013. And it's like he had a better rookie season than even Johan Zarco did a couple of years ago. Um... Hmm. This he's been sensational this season. Although the only issue I would have is he needs to start converting some of these pole positions. Like he's not going to get this reprieve in year two because he had six of them yeah. this year and he didn't win once. That's not great. Oh, yeah. But and that's kind of the point I was making. Mm, it's just like absolutely. we're at the point now where we're just like we expect absolutely. Fabio Cordero now to just win these races now where yeah. podiums just aren't good enough. We'll get to the full championship standings later on, but. He was only 19 points away from being top Yamaha and top three in the championship. He was fifth. Good lord. He was fifth in the end on 192 points. Um, as I mentioned, seven podiums this season, including five second places. Um, he's, he's been incredible. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And let's not forget, he's still only 20 years old. He was born at the end of 1999. Um, yeah, and he, had the, he got that exception to get into Moto3. Yeah, because he won, he won the junior title at 15. Um, and let's not forget, this is a guy that many people thought might not be the guy after his time in Moto2. But again, speed up gambled on him. He ended up winning them a Grand Prix. Probably should have had another one if it wasn't for an unfortunate technical D- DQ. Um, he was, I think it was .006 of a bar below the, the regulated limit on his front tyres and it they just, just stripped the win off him in his Moto2 season. But uh, Fabio's sensational. He really is. And he is probably going to be the future of this sport. And, and you know, I... I wouldn't be surprised at this at all if he isn't on Valentino Rossi's bike in 2021. He is by a country mile the leading contender. Although it is funny, his agents already put in asking prices out there for a salary for 2021. Apparently, it's in the six million a year range. Ooh. Oh God, that's a lot. Just trust me, that money is a come and get me Ducati, please. 
plea, apparently. <laughs> um, because it, it's looking a lot like Ducati maybe thinking about blowing their team up at the end of 2020 if it don't work out. More on that later. But um, <laughs> I'll get into the season stuff a little bit uh, later on. But uh, yeah, Marquez won fairly comfortably in the end. A second was a little bit flattering to Fabio, really. He did break out a two, two to three second lead by the end of the race. But again, obviously slowed it down on the final lap. But, uh, yeah, Marquez winning fairly comfortably in the end from Fabio Quattararo. In other news, he's Jack Miller. Welcome back to Jackass. Hi, I'm Jack Miller, and this is the best season a Pramac rider has ever had. It is. Jack Miller with his fifth count and podium of the season. Um, in third place, just 2.4 seconds. I think that's the closest he's been to a win since that 1,000-to-1 shot victory at Aston when he was at Mark VDS. Um, oh, yeah. He was in the top three pretty much all day. He was, and he held off the faster Dovi behind him all the way through. He was excellent. That was maybe the best MotoGP race Miller's put together top to bottom. Maybe even the best overall weekend, because he was... He was fast all the way through. This was not a fluke. He was legitimate front row, podium level speed all weekend long. He was excellent this weekend, Miller. That was the best I've seen Miller look over a race weekend in his GP career to date. Awesome stuff. Well done, Jack Miller. Um, They totally deserved third place. Um, It's taken him a while, but Miller is finally starting to put it all together, which is great to see. And it's great for the sport, because Miller is a fantastic entertainer. Um, The sport is better for it when he's up the front. (sighs) Keep an eye on him for next year. Could be fun. Um, Especially given that he, he, again, is another leading candidate for maybe a factory Ducati seat in 2021. Mm Mm-hmm. There was rumours going around they might even swap him early uh, for Dino Petrucci yeah, right now. I heard about this and I was just like, I haven't heard anything about them dropping Petrits. Yeah, apparently the boys in red are not so keen on Petrucci's second half of the season and to the point where they might have considered at one point swapping him for Miller, but the contract logistics weren't great. But... Um, you, 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 you think back to Mugello where Danilo won a race that Jack Miller had crashed from fourth place in, and it makes mm. you think what could have been. It makes you think. Um, but running down the rest of the result real quick, Andrea Davizioso in fourth, um, Alex Rins in fifth, Maverick Vinales in sixth. Again, just didn't get that late race pace he normally does this time around. Um, Maverick Vinales in sixth, Juan uh, Mir in seventh, Valentino Rossi down in 8th. 23 seconds off the win. Sigh. Alicia Spagaro in the top 10 for a prettier again in ninth. Well done, Alicia. Great ride from him. Uh, Paula Spagaro once again in the top 10 for KTM. That man is a miracle worker. I don't know how he keeps yeah, doing He's He's our whole team. He's literally our whole team. <laughs> Paula Spagaro is sensational. What a, what, what a rider he is. Tito Rabat in the 11th. That's a great ride for Rabat for, in the 11th for the Avintia team. Yeah, great job from Mika Calio in 12th, who was a wild card for the weekend. Um, Jorge Lorenzo in his final GP, 13th place over the line. Good to see you got some points. Big thank you, Jorge, on the board um, as he came over the line, which was, which was very touching. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen it on Kai's Twitter, if you follow him at 50 bucks, good friend of the show, we love Kai on here. Um, there is a great video of uh, 
let's just say Lorenzo partying into the night in Valencia and him <laughs> arm in arm with Mark Marquez in a bar singing Spanish karaoke. It's well worth the 20... That man's earned it. <laughs> He's, it's well worth 20 seconds of your time. It's great. Well, there, was, there, was, there was a lot of people who were upset that apparently Mark didn't do enough with Jorge after the race was over. Um, that man owes you nothing, for God's sake. But yes, that is... Uh, yeah, as as Cam points out in the Discord, Jorge is very much at peace with this, and uh, I hope he, I hope that continues. Carol Abraham in fourteenth place, and the last of the finishers, Hafiz Sirin, was in fifteenth, and in his final MotoGP race, at least for now, uh, a lot of retirement. Seven in this race, believe it or not. Uh, there's some funny ones in it. Andre Iannone crashed on the final lap. Uh, Frankie Morbidelli binned it with nine to go. Petrix went down. Um, in, in, in this this was a strange one. Because, oh, we got to talk about this. One. Oh yeah, because this this, this yeah, was al- a big one. This was almost a legitimate freak tragedy. Oh god, yeah. Um, turn six is the very slow left hander. A lot of camber on that corner. Um, and it had already had um basically that uh, concrete powder that was the tarmac powder that was put down because there was a big oil leak in the Moto3 race. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but they had to obviously put that that dust down to obviously soak up the oil basically that was left on track. And uh, if you got on that on, on that sticky stuff, uh, if you got on that very powdery substance, it were, you it were very susceptible to going down. And we saw it. Like, Danilo Petrucci goes down on that dust. Ten seconds later behind him, Johan Zarco bins it on on his Honda in the exact same spot. Identical accident. He goes down. Now, Zarko is walking away from the incident. He's fine. There's a valuable lesson to be learned here, folks. Always keep your eye on the track because what he didn't know was that behind him, Ike Laquona, who would make it his, who was making his MotoGP debut early because filling in for the injured Miguel Oliveira, um, Laquona went down in the same spot and his bike went flying so hard, it chop-blocked Johan Zarco's ankle, flipping him over and landing on the back of his head. It could have been disastrous. Thankfully, Zarco only got away with a bruised ankle. It could have been so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him go back on a stretcher, and I'm thinking, well, that's not good. Mm. Uh, then they show the replay, and I'm just like... Holy Moses, that is extremely not good. Yeah, it, it, and it, it, 10 or 15 minutes later, he's back in his garage debriefing with the team. Yeah, he'd been to the medical center for a checkup. Turns out he was fine. He just couldn't put any weight on his ankle, hence the stretcher. Um, but thankfully, he was okay. And I can joke about it now by saying that's the first time he's not landed a backflip in his GP career. Um, <laughs> but um, thankfully, Zarko was okay, relatively fine, and thank God for that because that could have been disastrous. Blessing, um, kids, keep your eye on the track at all times. <laughs> that that could have been nasty. Um, okay, like I said, thankfully, no harm done. Yeah, no real harm done anyway. But yeah, big freak accident there. Two other DNFs: Cal Crutchlow, um, he crashed on lap nine, and Mikaeli Piro. Whoop. Whoop! It's the sound of the police. Uh, sadly, he had a he had a technical problem. He had to retire the bike early. He was the first of the non-finishers. Now, so here we go. Let's go put up the list here. Here are the final MotoGP Championship standings for 2019. Mark Marquez is your series champion for the sixth time in seven years. 
420 points. Nice! Ultimate <laughs> nice! <laughs> Ultra combo! This is the best season in the modern era. It's Mark Marquez may have had a year where he started with like 10 wins to open the season. This is his best season ever. Yeah, people Statistically, yeah. most points, points per race. Um, and he's doing this at the highest level of the sports competition across the board from top to bottom. Yeah, to put it into perspective, he averaged 22.1 points per race. So, better than second race. Better than second the race. He had one DNF in 19 races. That was at Kota, a race he was comfortably leading round and had an engine braking failure. And that was the only reason why Mark wouldn't have won that race and maybe have had 445 out of a possible 475. It's utterly terrifying. It is. It, it smashes Lorenzo's points record of 383. It smashes his, his points per race record of 21.9. Marquez was 22.1. He won the championship in the end by 151 points. It's the largest championship winning margin ever in MotoGP. He's... At Eat your heart out, Lewis. Absolutely decimated the opposition. It is... It's, it's beyond the beat-em-down scale. It's beyond the ultra I use from Killer Instinct. It is ridiculous. It's it's He basically like, beat Andrea De Vizioso by roughly one Jack Miller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the gap from first to second is as almost as big as the gap from second to ninth in the championship. Yeah, it goes down roughly to 10th place Frankie Morbidelli, who had 115 points. It is ridiculous. And, you know, I've got a couple of more fun facts here for you as well. I'm going to pull them up from my written piece in just a second here. But Like, I don't know if I've ever seen Rossi this dominant at the peak no. of his powers. No, no he was never the really only dominant. Per, like, the only person that really comes to mind is, like, Agassini all those years that he went undefeated. But, you know, that was before we had the television coverage that we have nowadays, way before that. The, the quality of the field in 2003 is not what it is now. Not even close. The sport is actually a thousand times more competitive than it was in 2003. This is arguably the best MotoGP field ever when it comes to consistency, quality of rider, quality of bike, quality of talent. It is ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. Like I say, here's the stats I pulled up here. 420 out of a possible 475. That is 88% of all the available points on the table. Um, he won 12 out of 19 races. Six of them were second places. And just the one DNF I mentioned earlier. The 18 podiums is, again, another MotoGP all-time record. No one's ever had 18 podiums in a season before. Um... The total margin of defeat for Marquez in those six second places was 8.2 seconds. Seven... Oh my lord. Se- you can't run 100 meters in that time. 7.9 <laughs> of those seconds was the two races that Maverick Vinales won. The two races he won at Assen and at, fi- and at, at Sepang. If you take those two away, his margin of defeat was, was 0.3 of a second. Combined. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, just think about that. In order to beat Mark Marquez this year, you either had to, one, wait for him to fall off his bike after a fluke engine brake failure, two, barely edge him over the line, 
or three, you have to be Maverick Vinales and ride a perfect race from start to finish. Yeah, because if it wasn't for Maverick Vinales, he lost four races this year by less than a tenth of a second. Like, I think Rins beat him by .04. I think Dovi was .02. Dovi in Austria, I think, was .2 of a second. Um, Rins at Silverstone, I think, was point was zero point zero four or something like that. It was, it is minute. You're you're talking inches. And again, as Cal points out, some of these tracks are where Honda have not had winning history in the past, and he's winning everywhere. Um, Mark took the all-time pole position record. He's now got ninety career pole positions, um, and now he has more top flight wings than McDoin. And championships than McDoin because he has 56 top flight wins now and six top flight world titles more than Dewan's 52 and five, um, and he's now fourth on the all-time wins list with 82. The next man on the list with 90 wins, which he might get to next year, is Angel freaking Nieto, who won 13 <laughs> world titles. Well, 12 plus one in his language. Um, he won 12 plus one world titles. And is generally held as the greatest Spanish racing, one of the greatest Spanish racers of all time, pound for pound, in any motorsport. So I think it was like, it was at least two years ago, because it was back when Bike Live was still on Downforce. <laughs> back during two years ago, pretty much in terms of all time wins. Uh, Marquez, Lorenzo, and Pedroza were pretty much level yeah. in terms of all-time wins. He were, they were. They were all roughly in that 50 to 60 club. Marquez now has 82 career top flight wins. Uh, has 82 career wins in all classes. <laughs> and he only debuted in 2008. He's only been, race- he's only yes. been racing 11 years. Like, Lorenzo just retired yeah. after 17 seasons. It's... Now, like, it's ridiculous that yeah he's probably gonna catch uh nieto next season he's probably gonna catch rossi the first year of rossi's retirement even valentino has come out and said he's probably gonna break all my records he knows it he knows it's it's a matter of when at this point it's it is utter he's not even 27 till february (laughs) And he's going to have more chances than ever because next year it's going to be a 20-race calendar. The year after that, we're probably looking at 21 races. It's the 269 points that Andrea Davizioso had at the end of the season in second. Marquez had that at Aragon. He had 275. He could have... He could have... If the results had gone the same way, he could have he could have bowed out from the year at Aragon and still won the title by six points. <laughs> six races uh. early. Oof. He is a cheat code. He is an absolute monster. For me, he is... I don't think he's the... He's not the cheat code. He's the whole game shark. <laughs> he's the whole game shark! He's busted. He's... Statistically, he's broken. He has broken everything we've known about MotoGP. He, yeah, because I, I, I guarantee you, health willing, by 2025, Mark Marquez will be MotoGP's all-time wins leader. Look... I'm calling it now. We've got the Motorsport 101 awards in about three weeks' time. Like, if he doesn't win our overall Motorsport Athlete of the Year, I'm going to fight somebody. I don't know. Lou's got a big no. case. No. <laughs> no. Jonathan's got a big case, too. Jonathan might be the only guy in the ballpark here. Like, seriously. And, and Jonathan had an outrageous season. Even by his... <laughs> like, 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 I, I am... 
nailing my flag to the mast for Mark Marquez right now. He, this is the greatest statistical season in the history of MotoGP, and it's not even close. He's like this. This is something you could, you could do a John Boy's video about. That's how ridiculous this is. Um, so round off the rest of the championship, which not that it really matters at this point. Andrea Davizioso was second on 269 points. Um, Ma Maverick Vinales, nice, nice in the background there, very good. Uh, Maverick Vinales was third in the end on 211. He got a nice little bronze medal during the award ceremony. Um, he took it on the fight. I think on the he didn't quite get it on the last day. Rins had a last ditch effort to try and steal it back at the end, but couldn't get there. He was fourth on. 205 um, in the end. The top independent goes to Fabio Quattararo in fifth place on 192 points. He finished uh, 27 points ahead of Jack Miller in the independent championship. So congrats to Fabio. I'm sure the t-shirts are getting drawn up as we speak. Um, it'll, be on, it'll be on the merch store by this time next week. Um, so congrats to him. Uh, Lino Petrucci fell to sixth in the end of the championship at 176 points. Bit of a patchy second half of the year for him. Valentino Rossi was 7th on 174 points. Miller on 165. Cal Crutchlow on 113. Frankie Morbidelli rounding off the top 10 on 115 points. Paula Spagaro, KTM's first ride over 100-point season in 11th place of exactly yes. 100. That's an incredible accomplishment from Paula Spagaro. That is that is borderline miracle uh, from, from Paul on that one. Brilliant stuff. He beats Joan Mir in, in, in 12th on 92 points. Takanekagami had 74. Get well soon, Taka. We saw you in the ballot there during the race. Alish on 63. Francisco Maniaia on 54. Andre Iannone on 43. Miguel Oliveira... I think one of the low-key shouts for Rookie of the Year. Um, shame he couldn't, he couldn't take part at the end of the year. He's, I think he's had a great season. A lot, a lot, a lot of people have noticed. In 17th on 33 points. Johan Zarco in 18th on 30. More on him very shortly. Um, Jorge Lorenzo in his final season, 19th on 28 points. Sad face. Tito about on 23. Stefan Bradl on 16. We're getting into the part-timers now. McKaylee Pirro on 9. If he's siring with 9, he had a full season. Sigh. Carol Abraham, he had 9 points. He also had a full season sigh uh, and then Sylvain Gintoli still with Ginters in 25th on 7 points as was Mika Callio in 26th and last in the championship technically Bradley Smith everybody two wildcard appearances didn't score points in either of them boy. and just so we're clear here currently uh, currently Mark Marquez is 40 wins back of Guacamo of Giacomo Agostini on one twenty-two to get to one twenty-two by by January first, twenty twenty-five. Mark Marquez just needs to average more than ten wins a season for the next four seasons. Hmm. Four Lewis Hamiltons. It might it might not be beyond him. I'm just saying. That's a big ask, but it's possible. And again, again, the next four seasons are going to be at least. 20 Grand Prix long. They've got the Kaimi ring coming next year for, for, for sure, and they're going to get bigger. Um, also, y'all, we forgot to mention this. Mark Marquez basically won Honda the Triple Crown by himself. Honda won yes. Constructors' Championship, and by 13 points, Repsol Honda team beat Ducati with effectively <laughs> one rider. Four, yeah, he scored 90... Marquez scored 92% of Repsol Honda's points for the season. 458 beating Ducati's 445. And Cam said it in the chat. It's harsh, but it might be kind of true. 
Danilo Petrucci might have cost Ducati the, the team championship. And Marquez essentially won Honda the Triple Crown on his own. Yeah. It, it's... <laughs> It's utterly preposterous. He won it by 13 points. They outscored Ducati by 15 on the final round to win the team's title on the last day. Of course, because of course he did. It's Mark Marquez. Like seriously, um, monster absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so just so we're clear, Mark Marquez scored how many of their points? What? Like- 425 out of 458. 92% of their points. Oh my god. <laughs> It's the greatest statistical season in MotoGP history. He won him the Triple Crown by himself. Yeah. If his yeah, he he legitimately won the manufacturers by the, by himself. Yeah, because they won, they beat Yamaha by one hundred and five points, and only the top only the top bike of counts. Course. So only one race this year. It wasn't Mark Spike who scored the points. Yeah, and that was that was a uh, I think Lorenzo's a uh, tenth place at Cota. Um, yeah, I. T- it's it's my yeah sorry it was, it was take that back because Lorenzo had a technical retirement and Cam's right it was Taka Nakagami who scored the points for them on that day Taka <laughs> oh my god it was Taka it, 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 it's preposterous it is absolutely preposterous it's ridiculous I have nothing else to say um Mark Marquez is a demon he is a god amongst men that is. The greatest statistical season, I think, I'm um, not only in MotoGP, but maybe in motorsport, period. That is utterly, utterly insane, uh, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, congrats to Mark Marquez uh, on winning the Triple Crown, and congrats to his brother Alex for joining him at Repsol Honda next year. Whoa! Oh, God. Los Hermanos Marquez. Welcome to the Super Marquez Brothers. <laughs> it works out because Alex is the taller one just like Luigi. <laughs> I almost spat out my own juice when you said that. <laughs> oh, that was close. Um, <laughs> it really is, because Alex is the taller one, but yeah... In a minor shock, Alex Marquez joining him at Repsol Honda for next year. There was contenders lined up for this seat. Takanakagami was a contender. Johan Zarco had put his name in the ring, obviously, after joining LCR as a wild card late on. Yeah, Cal Crutchlow. Crutchlow was a name, but Crutchlow was always going to be a long shot because he's a monster energy backed athlete. Um, that would have been awkward going to a Repsol team that is backed by Red Bull. Probably now. Nah, forget Monster Red Bull's my new best friend. Now. Oh yeah, friendship ended with, with Monster Red Bull's my new best friend. Get the <laughs> meme in here, make it happen. Um, but uh, yeah, Crutchlow was always going to be a bit of a long shot, and even he admitted Alex Marquez was probably the best call to get that seat in the end. Zarco, well, he did just quit on a factory. Do you really want to sign him? Um, you know, he's been okay for Repsol, but nothing special. Um, Takanekagami's all right, but he's already hurt. And as and of course the cynical a lot of the cynical bike fans out there were talking about the mark you know it's absolutely mark had a say in this and hey he, he might have done but but I mean does it matter when he could win all the championships by himself right yeah and especially when <laughs> Honda's mo is by this point they pretty much have to do anything to keep their man happy because they are in big trouble without him. Because it was suggested yeah. that, um, I heard somewhere that it was just like, either Mark Mark has told the team straight up, either you sign Alex for 2020, or I'm leaving come 2021. Where is he going to go? KTM? <laughs> yeah, like, 
Who cares if, it, if there was any nepotism talk in there? Alex Marquez is a two-division world champion. Like, he's the only man ever to be a Moto2 and Moto3 champion. Um, and he just won a championship on a triumph. The first guy to do it. And that takes some level of skill. And I mean, all the bikes are triumphs, but... Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, he adapted the best to, to a brand new bike. I know he's a veteran of the series, because this was his fifth season in Moto in Moto2, but... If anything with Zarco and Rabat, if, if we've if we've learnt one thing is that there is still absolutely a place in the top flight for experience, and Alex mm. Marquez is still only twenty three. <sighs> like seriously, you've yep. got plenty of time with Alex Marquez for him to be a late bloomer. Um, I think that I think he'll do just fine over there, quite frankly. And uh, if you've got a bunch of half-hearted options, given you're looking for talent in November to fill a seat in. You can do a lot worse than Alex Marquez and sod it. Why not take a punt on it? Yeah, what's worse? They just hire someone else after next right, season. Right, because it's only a one-year deal. So they, they can give they gave him the prove-it deal. So if it doesn't work out, they can replace him for next season in an open market next year where everybody's on the table anyway. So mm-hmm. Honda can basically pick who they want to ride for him. So, yeah, sod it. Why not? Um, so, yeah, it's, I think, in my opinion, I think it's a good punt, and we'll see how well they do. Johan Zarco, on the other hand, woof. Oh, <laughs> looking like Nico Hulkenberg right now. We have yeah. Biking Hulkenberg at the moment here. Um, yeah, I think I think that shot block on the ankle via Iker Laquona's bike was basically an... It was basically an allegory for Johan Zarco's 2020 prospects. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it. He's walking towards that Honda seat, and then all of a sudden, psych! Nepotism. Gotta love it. Um, <laughs> and now he's, well... He's now in a bit of a hot pickle here now, because, uh, well, the only seat left is Avintia, really, that's on the table for next season, and Carol Abraham has already said, I've got an agreement for next season in place. So, if anything happens, it's it's going to be Tito Rabat's seat that's going to be taken. And Tito Rabat is a better rider than people give him credit for. Um, and as Zarko proved earlier this season, can you trust him to see out a contract? That's going to be problematic. Yeah, yeah I don't even think Avintia want him because he had said, I would rather go back to Moto2 than race for, uh, for Avintia. And that was before Aventia decided to get a satellite deal with Ducati. So now they might actually have bikes that are worth a damn. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, Johan, you say something about us? Yeah. And uh, Aventia just all of a sudden just got a lot more appetizing for next year. Um, and now mm. the only option that really makes sense is going back down to Moto2 and racing with Mark VDS, who, for obvious reasons, are now one rider short. Um... And do you, do you, or I mean, they could just get Mark Marquez to try and win the double. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Right, replace one Marquez for another. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Is okay. We can st- he can still end up a Yamaha test rider. I mean, Yamaha did want to bring him in as a tester next year and see if something opens up for him. So, you know, there's there's options there certainly, but. Uh, yeah. Depends how Zarko wants to play it, but uh, him burning bridges with MotoGP teams probably isn't a wise move in in general. But uh, hey, what do I know? Um, but uh, yeah, that is the more silly season hot mess that's going on right now. 
on that one. To the uh, minor classes now, real quick. Uh, Moto 2. And uh, guess what, King? It's another KTM late season surge. <laughs> oh, I'm here for it. Lord Binder, our friend and yours, <laughs> wins the Valencia race ahead of Thomas Lutie. Binder winning by 0.7 of a second. It was a great fight between him and Thomas Lutie for the entire race, but Binder passed Lutie with about three to go and didn't look back. Lutie just didn't have... Um, the pace to match him at the end of the Grand Prix. In fact, he very nearly got pegged by Jorge Lorenzo on the... Oh, sorry, Lorenzo. Sorry, Jorge Navarro. See, I miss him already. Um, Jorge Navarro <laughs> on the final lap. Um, Navarro being the king of late race pace in Moto2. Um, but yeah, been the winning. And in the end, mathematically speaking, because of his win and because of Alex Marquez crashing the bike... He only ended up three points away from winning the title. God damn <laughs> What might have been if right. KTM had started off the season, you know, not not in a giant hole, basically. They came on too strong, right? They, they, the, the comeback was too late. They, the Binder won the last three races, and it still wasn't enough. Man, if Marquez just didn't make that save a couple races ago. If Marquez doesn't make that superhuman save, he doesn't win the championship. It's as simple as that. It's like... Because like I said, Marquez binned it in this race, you know. He got back on the bike and finished the race, but he was almost a lap down in the end. Um, he finished in 30th place. Um, but uh, yeah, Binder winning. I, I like I like that Simon Crafer, who does the post-race interviews on the Impark Ferme, asked Brad, he said, Brad, do you want to know how close you were to uh, actually winning the title in the end? And Brad goes, no, please don't tell me. <laughs> he, Think about I it. I mean, five wins after the summer break. That's, uh... I mean, we we all kind of called it on the rundown to this title where we said, Marquez always does this. Alex is going to, like, crash somewhere and lose it all. And he crashes after he already clinched the of title. Of course he did. He's a Marquez brother. What did you expect? <laughs> it was right on the form book. Um, Binder winning with Thomas Luti and Jorge Navarro on the podium in third. He very nearly got beaten to the podium himself by one Stefano Manzi. He had a great race on the MV Augusta. That was a nice surprise. Uh, Stefano Manzi in that MV Augusta is a beautiful look. MV only make beautiful motorcycles. I love them. Please be faster. <laughs> Please. I want you to do well because you make beautiful bikes. You really do. Um, Jorge Martin continuing his fine end of season form in fifth. Head of Augusto Fernandez, Xavi Vierge, Luca Marini, DJ Antonio in ninth, and Sam Lowe's tenth. In his final race of Cassini before joining Mark VDS next year. Matteo Pacini, Dominique Agata, Jake Dixon in 13th place. Good for him. Danea Bastianini in 14th and Remy Gardner in 15th. Shout out to Jake Dixon. Had one of my funniest on-the-grid moments of the year. Turned it around with a giant golden microphone and interviewing Neil Hodson on the grid instead. <laughs> nice touch. Um... Might I also shout out uh, Sean Dylan Kelly stepping in for uh, for Iker Laquona, who, of course, was called up to the big boys. Uh, Sean Dylan Kelly, of course, young American writer, getting the call up as a wild card and getting the blessing of the Hayden family to run his number 69. 
it, it, it was an authentic 69 just like I should have read that better um, it was an it was it, it was an authentic 69 just like Nikki Hayden's same font same American flag everything it was beautiful shame he couldn't finish the race he crashed with two laps to go which is a real shame um, but shout out to Sean Dillon Kelly that was a beautiful tribute to see and it's nice to see the 69 is never far away from the paddock Nice. Um, he was one of only two DNFs on the day. Lucas Tulovich was the other one um, on that one. The final Moto2 title standings on this one. Alex Marquez winning by just three points in the end from Brad Binder, who won the last three races in second. All right, I'm going to head out. <laughs> <laughs> See you in 20, King. Uh, Thomas Lutie in third. <laughs> Another gatekeeper year for Thomas Lutie. Only he, he himself was only 12 points off the title. Oh, Thomas, another year, another chance it slips through your fingers. Jorge Navarro in fourth on 226, Augusto Fernandez on 207, Luca Marini on 119 in sixth, Lorenzo Baldazzari, what the hell happened to his season, in seventh on 171 <laughs> points. Remember, remember when he won three of the first four? Oh dear. Yeah, his whole season just flatlined from there. Collapsed. Muscle um, Schrotter in eighth. On 137, DG Antonio, I believe, wins Rookie of the Year. Just scrolling my eyes down. Yes, he does. On ninth place on 108 points. He also had t-shirts made because, of course, he did. And Anaya Bastianini in 10th on 97 points in the fight for Rookie of the Year. Jorge Martin just below them on 97 points in... Sorry, 94 points, I should say, in 11th place. So congrats to them. And congrats to the uh, Pons HP40 team for winning the team's title over Dynavolt by four points. 391 to 387. Shout out to the Pons team. Had a special livery for the race as well. And tribute to Sito. I think it was the 25th anniversary, I think, or 30th anniversary of his title win. So it was a special white livery with, with white rims. Gorgeous. Um, very nice. And, and, and unveiled it, they had the riders on top of the bikes as well, which was a great touch when they pulled the when they pulled the, uh, the carpet off it. It was great. Um, so that was a nice little uh, extra mention as well. Two Moto3. This race was carnage. Um, <laughs> the, oh, boy. Th this race was a doozy in the end. It was a fantastic Moto3 season finale in the end. And one man stole the show. And it was... 16-year-old wildcard, Xavier Artegas, um, who was riding as a wildcard for the Leopard team, and he was sensational. Coming from the middle of the grid to come through, chase down the leading group, and was only two tenths away from winning the damn thing. Um... <gasps> It almost feels like a Moto3 tradition at this point. He was he was channeling his inner Chan Onsu. It was great. Only in the dry and even more chaos. Um, man led several laps of the race. He, had, I think he had the fastest lap of the race as well. He was demonically fast. But he didn't win because it's Moto3 and life is unfair like that. It was won by another 16-year-old local boy. It was Sergio Garcia, hashtag not the golfer, that took his first Moto3 <laughs> career victory by just five thousandths of a second over Andrea Mino for the Mugen team who were taking part in their final ever race. That team will be disbanding at the end of the season. Same Mino couldn't get it a W. To, to see it off just five thousandths of a second over the I think it's the closest race result of the year um period in any class Garcia 
beating Mino by five thousandths. Xavier Ortegas, again, just 16 years old, might be one to watch for the future in third for Leopard. On, um, um, again, Tazuki Suzuki in fourth. Um, Philip Salak in fifth. He had a great race, Philip Salak in fifth there for the, mm-hmm. for the Prestel GP team for Redox. Great job from him. Aaron Cannett. Now, this man had an entertaining race. Aaron Cannett um, going to the grid on the sighting lap had an oil leak. <sighs> oh, no. Had an oil leak at turn five. Um, they had to delay the start of the race while they obviously put down the uh, powder to soak the oil up. That, that's what I was referring to. Is the, the, the turn six oil leak? They had to uh, oil that shit up basically um, and dry that off. They had to red flag the race as well because there were, the initial race was two laps in when there was a nasty um, turn twelve accident with five riders involved and Dennis Foggia suffered an almighty concussion um, as a result of the incident. Luckily, everybody involved okay, but uh, Dennis Foggia was in a nasty one. There was like you know it's a bad slam and the fucking sheets were up. My God. Um, oh, no. But uh, thankfully, it was it was nothing serious. He was conscious. They were very quick to put that out there in race direction. They said you, everybody is conscious, which is always a good sign. Um, and yeah, thankfully, it was just a concussion. And uh, Foggia was given was was on an ambulance. He was taken to hospital for, to be given a once over. Thankfully, okay. Luckily, it was a lot nastier um, in, in in visually than when it, than what it actually was in the end. But the race was red flagged. It was red flagged. Kanye, who had to start from the pit lane after the oil leak, all of a sudden, because the red flag was in the first three laps, that race start was then deemed null and void. So basically, they started over. The race was reduced to 15 laps. Um, and everyone was was to take the grid in their original positions, which meant Kanye got to start from the second row of the grid again. <laughs> oh, no. What's even, what's, uh, what's even funnier... I believe Romano Fanati had to start the warm-up lap for the pit lane. He did because he when they did the restart. Yeah, because of the quick restart procedure. When the quick restart procedure happens in GP, you've only got sixty seconds to leave the pit lane, and if the pit lane is closed, you start from the back of the grid. And Fanati, oh my, and Fanati missed it by three seconds. <sighs> He was given the red flag. He had to start from the back of the grid because of the quick restart procedure window is only 60 seconds, basically. Um, so Fanati had to start from the back. He worked his way back up into finishing 17th in the end. Aaron Canet, as mentioned, through the chaos was in 6th. Marcos Ramirez was 7th. Festina Vietti, 8th. Makayachenko in 9th. Ayagura in 10th. Um, Stefano Nepa in 11th. Chan Onshu in 12th in what will be his final Moto3 race because he's going to World Supersport next year. Oof. No, seriously, he is. Keenan Sofogadu talked him over into going into World Supersport next year. He's, o- he's still only 16. Dear God. Uh, yeah, that's going to be one to keep an eye on for next year. Kaito Tober in 13th, Ricardo Rossi 14th, and, and Jumpman Cornfard in 15th. Um, only 21 bikes saw the flag in the end. Um, Mazaki, Fanati, Tom Bufamos, Sasaki, Arenas, and and the champion, uh, Lorenzo Della Porta. Now, this was not... There was a nasty accident as well, as well on turn four when... Uh, I think it was Tony Arbolino had f- flipped his bike over coming out of turn four and high-sided it, and then... <laughs> There was a source sofa racer joke on Twitter saying there was the world's first attempt at the double corn file because uh, 
both Dalla Porter and McPhee ended up being launched over the side pod um, of Arbolino's bike. It was a massive four-bike accident. Um, again, thankfully, everybody okay. But uh, a nasty one. It was Arbolino, McPhee, and I think it was Darren Binder that was involved as well. Nasty one. But again, thankfully, everybody was okay. Chaotic Moto3 race. Well worth a watch if you haven't seen it already. And strangely enough, in the end, even with Canet scoring well, Lorenzo Della Porta ends up winning the Moto3 title by 79 points. Yeah. That's a weird one. Yeah, like, Canet had some wretched luck at the end of the year. Dear God. Um, to, you know, taken out in Japan and, you know, the technical error in Masano, the electrics failing on him and you're taken out by Darren Binder in Phillip Island. It was... He's had a messy end of the year, but to be fair, it wasn't really Canet's fault in a lot of these and uh, maybe it's bad karma for the Argentina incident. Um, he was in second on 200. Marcos Ramirez ends up stealing third in the end on 183 points ahead of Tony Arbolino uh, in fourth. John McPhee, fifth, his best season in Moto3 after 117 attempts. Um, he had 156 points in fifth. Cecilia Vietti wins Rookie of the Year in sixth for 135 because that's just the thing we celebrate now. And Niccolo Antonetti in 7th on 128, Suzuki on 124, Jan Messia on 121, Ayaguro on 109 rounding off the top 10. And a very quick shout out as well to Moto E that had its two race season finale. Both races in the end were won by Eric Granado, um, but it didn't matter in the end because the first ever Moto E World Cup champion is Matteo Ferrari, everybody. About time a Ferrari. Congratulations! Did- <laughs> About time a Ferrari didn't shit the bed, quite frankly. Um, so, Woo! congrats to Matteo Ferrari for winning the World Cup by 20 points ahead of Bradley Smith in second and Xavier Simeon, remember him, in third, uh, basically. So, yeah, congrats to Eric Ganado. Again, Moto E, both races were seven laps. Fun time. Do watch. Watch more next year. The series is only going to get bigger and better as it goes on so definitely check it out keep it up and uh, keep watching the series it was, it was a fun time definitely fun to watch um, so yeah more of that for next year I'm going to take a deep breath now and have another musical break and when we come back we'll talk about Formula 1 in Brazil and trust me it, it, it's a lot Yeah, somehow Max Verstappen winning this one was like the least exciting thing about it. Somehow. Max Verstappen looked clinical. He really did. He looked just, yeah. So you're wondering just where the excitement was going to come from. They're about halfway through this Brazilian Grand Prix. Well, a funny thing happened on the way to the checkered flag. Yeah, well, little did we know that little did we know at the time how significant this would be. But on lap fifty-three of seventy-one, um, Valtteri Bottas has an engine failure. Um, the first, I think that's the first technical Mercedes DNF of twenty nineteen. Um, we're twenty races deep, everybody. Um, but yeah, I think he was a uh, he was following. Uh, I believe it was, what did I say, it was Charles Leclerc's car um, and trying to pass it. It was an oil leak, according to Cam, so thanks for that. Um, he was following Charles Leclerc's car, and next thing you know, the oil leak happens, and the, and the whole thing goes pop. Um, he had to park it um, just past turn four, 
not going to lie to you, probably wasn't a safety car, but hey, they pulled a safety car out anyway. Um, as, a, or as King would say, it's a competition caution. Um, <clears throat> hi, NASCAR. To be fair to Cam, yes, it did involve a JCB. That's a valid point. And I, I was too chicken to put it out there on Twitter when it happened because people were like, why is this a safety car? Why have we got to stop the race? And I'm like, isn't that a digger on track? <laughs> like, really near to the track? I wasn't sure, so I, I didn't tweet it. I'm a chicken. Um, but, yeah, that bunched the field up. And this was, to be fair... This wasn't, like, a boring Brazilian Grand Prix to that point. No. I like the fact no. that, the, like, strategies had got abandoned early on. Like, Bottas had tried a two-stopper on the hard. Didn't work. You know, Hamilton was committed to a two-stopper. You know, Vettel was one-stopping and then got yanked. The safety car kind of screwed him over on that front because everyone could pit for fresh mm-hmm. tyres at that point. He'd already done 10 laps or so on his by the time he were green flag racing again. Um, yeah. Didn't Vettel pit for like a second stop before they threw out that safety car? Precisely. Yeah, he'd done about five laps on them when the safety car came out. Yeah. Um, and that, again, he got he got screwed because when obviously when the safety car happened, he lost time compared to everybody else that could take a cheap pit stop. Um, and yeah, it didn't work. They, they abandoned the one stopper because he had no pace. His, his pace fell off a cliff, um, basically in the middle of his last stint. Um, but uh, yeah, it didn't work. But yeah, he, he got screwed by the safety car's timing of it, basically. Um, and yeah, it bunched the field back up. And <laughs> we got what was essentially a 12 lap sprint race, basically, on this one. And. Am I right in saying, King, that Hamilton led the first restart because he didn't stop for tires? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't stop for tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because Verstappen was leading at that point. He pitted for a third time. Yeah, and shout out to his race strategist who actually collected the winner's trophy in the end because that was a ballsy call, um, basically, um, and it worked uh, because Verstappen pulled off a beautiful move on Hamilton. Um, to, 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 to take, basically cement the win in the end again because Verstappen was not seen again really in this race all the chaos was going on behind him um, well I think we've beaten around the bush long enough here folks there was another big flashpoint lap Ooh. 65 Charles Leclerc pulls off a very late but uh, drastic dive bomb into turn 1 on his teammate Sebastian Vettel for what should be third place um, and the last spot on the podium. Uh, Leclerc makes it stick just about, but he gets a poor run going through turn three. Vettel was much faster coming out of turn three. Try, basically, Vettel's gone. I've got DRS. Leclerc is vulnerable. He comes through on the right-hand side. Leclerc is pinning him to the right-hand side of the track. Vettel tries to, to, to obviously, compromise Leclerc's line in the turn yeah, to, four. Yeah, to like, show him some wheel. Show him some wheel to see if Leclerc would back down. Leclerc did not back down, and the cars hit each other, and both cars disintegrated into a thousand pieces. They hit each other in a way where, in most cases, they would have just been able to drive away with it no problem, but they hit just right to to shred Vettel's tire and crush Leclerc's suspension. Yeah, it was an unmitigated disaster. Both Ferraris are out of the race. Um, there was obviously another safety car and yellow flag to clean all that shit up. And for uh, and Matteo Bidotio described, described the whole thing as silly. Um, as an un- <laughs> understatement of the year, everybody. Um, 
Now, look, I hold my hands up as a member of the Sebastian Vettel fraternity. This probably was on him. Um, uh, Stewards didn't see it that way. Stewards, yeah. Stewards said no further action on this. They said neither. They said basically. Both drivers could have done more to prevent the incident, yeah. and no, no, neither party was uh, predominantly to blame for said incident, and no further action was required on their part. Um, now, this is an interesting one, because on lap one, as Cam points out, Charles did the exact same thing to Lando Norris on the opening lap, and he got away with it because Lando backed down. Yeah, um, that's the thing. It's one of those situations where... Either Vettel or Leclerc could have taken action to avoid the accident. Neither did, so they had the accident. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I do feel like this was more Vettel's responsibility by just a touch, but it's not to the point where everybody is going to hysterics about how Sebastian Vettel is sabotaging the team with his own or he's lost uh, his mind. emotions. Yes. Like, like, come on now. This, this is a 55-45, and as, as Cam points out, this is spot on. This is modern day F1 now. You, like, you, like, turning in a braking zone is no longer punished. You can now run a guy at least two wheels off without penalty, as Verstappen proved in Austria. We are now in an era yeah. where the stewards are now insisting on letting the drivers race, and if that is going to happen, this is what you're going to get. Well, yeah, this is what teams wanted. Teams got what they wanted. So, also, enjoy. I would like to point out this inadvertent uh, gold that Twitter had given us. Uh, ESPN F1 at putting up photos of him after the accident. Best caption wins. Out of nowhere, someone's Twitter feed had pulled up an ad for Subway Sandwich Sock <laughs> that reads Pepperoni, Genoa Salami, Mozzarella, Garlic Herb Butter Spread. <laughs> Looks like someone's getting everything they want this year. <laughs> Ultimate spicy Italian. Oh, dear God, that's perfect. Oh, that's the most perfect meme I've ever seen. That is beautiful. Um, I'd Somehow, Twitter's algorithm, once in a blue moon, gives us gold. It does. That's a thing of beauty. It's funny, I, I disagree with Cam. I don't think it's 90%. Yeah, that's not, it's I, not 90%. Like, not even close. I don't know. Leclerc. Didn't like Leclerc didn't have to hold that line. There was room on the other side of the track for him to pull away from Seb if he wanted to. Not to mention he was going to be a car length behind by the braking zone anyway. There, like Leclerc was going to lose that spot, barring a hellacious dive bomb to try and defend the apex. Um, Leclerc had no reason to pin Sebastian. Why? Why would you pin your own teammate in that close? I don't understand that logic. Like what? Like. <sighs> You had well, a... It just goes back to that narrative saying that says that Ferrari cannot coexist with two with a one A and one B driver. I... <laughs> and that's apparently they've there's rumors they might have to go that they've been summoned to Marinello to to talk this over and they may have to actually fist fight, fist fight, fist fight. Yeah, I was gonna say have a mud wrestling contest. That might that might solve the oh, problem. No. Or just have an or just have an ultimate spicy Italian from Subway. <laughs> sure. Have some garlic butter in there. It works for everybody. It's it's not been ideal at Ferrari, to say the least, and it's not getting any better. And yeah, it's as 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 Cam pointed out, there's there's some valid validity to this where it's like 
both these guys are in it for themselves. They're not in it for the team. Charles Leclerc's probably never been in it for the team. We've heard it from his team radio on multiple rounds this year. Man wants all the goddamn glory. And I can't blame him for a young guy, yeah. you know, making went his full first chad. year. You know, we went, you know, in his first season with, you know, the big you know, in a big team. I totally understand that he wants to make a name for himself and potentially go for the title because Ferrari on paper had a car going into the season where we thought, <laughs> hey, maybe this maybe this is the year. <clears throat> no, but uh, you know, nice 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 thought, Ferrari. It's really cute of you. We pick up the pieces. Yeah. And we have another safety car. The restart order is for Stappen in front. Leading Alexander Albon, his Red Bull teammate in second. Pierre Gasly in the Toro Rosso in third. Lewis Hamilton and Carlos Sainz. So you're telling me the, the Red Bull Hondas got a 1-2-3 at this point of the race? Yes, they were looking to lock out the podium on a power track where we had for years poked fun of them that they did not have the horsepower at all. Indeed. And, well, I thought, okay, this this race might end under yellow um, because it was a nasty accident between the Ferraris and I thought that might take a while to clear up. Thankfully, no, we actually got a two-lap dash for the cash. Uh, the equivalent of a NASCAR overtime period, basically. It was a two-lap race um, to, to decide it. And with a lap and a half to go... Oh, no! Alex Albon's upside down. He's been spun around by... Wait, that's Lewis Hamilton's car! <laughs> and wait, that's Pierre Gasly going around the outside of Lewis Hamilton! Let's get it! Let's get it! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! What is happening? It is complete pandemonium. Uh, Alex Albon... In the middle of the track, tries to take the tries to take the wide sweeping line into that slow right hander. Doesn't see that Lewis Hamilton has basically gone full tilt for the apex to pin it on there, and uh, Hamilton sideswipes the, the rear of Albon's car, and he's ends he ends up beached on the grass. It absolutely would have cost Albon his first F1 podium finish. And Lewis Hamilton... He was upset about it, too, man. Yeah, And, and Hamilton took full responsibility. Albert, Albert, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, Lewis locked up on the curb, and to quote Super GT, he basically just sent Albon to the Shadow Realm, Jimbo, uh, basically. And, it, uh, was, it was like, literally, I just wanted to yell out, slide job! Slide job! <laughs> um... Yeah, Lewis pinned it there, and there was no going back, basically. Uh, Lewis Hamilton would later take a five-second time penalty, which, which would actually end up dropping him four places. We'll get into the maths on that very quickly in a minute. But, wait, that's Pierre Gasly in front of Lewis Hamilton. Um, it's the final lap, and Lewis Hamilton is throwing everything at this to try and get around Pierre Gasly on the last lap of the race he keeps it clean they're side by side through the final corner and amazingly it's the Honda powered Toro Rosso holds its own in a drag race to the line and Pierre Gasly has finished in second place Ooh, have you ever <laughs> no I have never <laughs> by half a tenth over Lewis Hamilton, Pierre Gasly has a career-high finish and takes his first career podium. <sighs> a Honda-powered 1-2 finish on Sochiro Honda's birthday. My, um, just, just the idea of any Honda-powered car beating a Mercedes in a track race. In this era, <laughs> it's almost unthinkable. 
it's, but it happened. It happened. That it goes to show you just how hard Honda has worked and just how far they have come, where they no longer have the slowest power unit in the field, and it can hold its own against a juggernaut of a Mercedes outfit. And on a power track at high altitude, at nearly 200 miles an hour over the line, Pierre Gasly held off. I remember there was no DRS. Um, because again, you only get the ARS on the on the third lap after a restart. It was only a two lap restart in the end. So it was a pure engine power drag race to the line. And thinking, high altitude. Whoa, Sao Paulo's on the coast. <laughs> yeah, Austria, Mexico, and Brazil cams claiming, but th- 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 who cares? Like Pierre Gasly, second place now. That's the thing. Lewis Hamilton over the line was third, but because of that five-second time penalty he got in the stewards' office after the race had finished, it dropped him all the way down to seventh because of the safety car, which... Hang on, let me just check my notes here. Oh, my God! Carlos Sainz is on the podium! Woo! Yes! <laughs> we had to wait a while for that one to come in, and there was almost a risk that that could be overturned because he accidentally opened his GRS on under yellow, but Carlos Sainz has gotten McLaren back on the podium from last on the grid! From oh 20th place, Carlos Sainz on the podium. Their first podium finish since the Australian Grand Prix of 2014. 2,000, and, 2000 plus days ago. 2,072 days since McLaren's last podium. Over five years ago. And, yeah, like... There is no man in the field, I'd argue, that has deserved the podium more this season than Carlos Sainz Jr. He has been absolutely immense all season long. I was at that point that I was begging, pleading, don't take this podium away from him for opening his DRS in a consequential event. (sighs) Could you imagine if that had happened and then Kimi Raikkonen ends up on the podium for Alfa Romeo? Yeah, I'd have have cancelled my F1 TV Pro. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the first Alfa on the podium in 35 years, basically. Bearing the lead here, Alfa finished 4-5. Yeah, Antonio Giovinazzi with a top five finish this season. That is fucking ridiculous. Kimi Raikkonen now has a top four finish in 17 seasons of his F1 career. What the fuck? What was this finish? Only Red Bull has scored more points this weekend than Alfa Romeo. They had 22 points. First time Alfa... First first time Alfa had two cars in the top five since 1951. The second ever F1 season as we know it today. Oh, oh Lord, oh, God. Yeah, we- what was your race rating again for this, uh, Dre? Um, I need a Prozac out of ten. Um, <laughs> get me a fucking Pro- as as Black and Wild but Tony points out in the chat. Antonio Giovinazzi has led a lap of a race this year and finished the race in the top five. And a lady's favourite. What a man. What a phenomenal man that is. But no, like in all seriousness, sincere congrats to. To Carlos Sainz. I mean, you, they, they had the whole team on the podium for the celebration afterwards because everybody had got home by this point. But uh, the whole team was drinking and partying long into the night. And he celebrated with his teammate Lando together. Those two really are an immense power couple. Um, big dick energy all round, everybody. Um, but, uh, like, 
Carla. <laughs> Cam with a with an indistinct Japanese screaming out of ten finish. Yeah, pretty much. Because if you if you listen to the radio of Pierre Gasly after he crosses the line, he goes mental. Um, <laughs> Do you remember Ayrton Senna <gasps> screaming at the end of the '91 Brazilian Grand Prix when he finally won in his home track? Yeah, it was it was basically that same energy. Because that is that is the that is the emotion of a man who has been demoted midseason. Just confirmed a couple of weeks ago he'll stay at Toro Rosso. Has actually looked better since being, I guess, we'd say dropped to the B back to the B team. Mm. Uh, he looks more confident himself, and I know that somewhere his friend Antoine Hubert would be really really proud. Oh god, yeah. What uh, Charles Leclerc was one of the first to congratulate him. Both childhood friends, and yeah, it was a beautiful scene. And like, what a story Pierre Gasly's season has been, in some incredible highs and some incredible lows, and that just takes the cake. Toro Rosso's best finish in a Grand Prix since, well, you know the one. <laughs> Two podiums in a season, and they pretty much got Sitz place in the constructors locked down. Yeah. It, this is their best ever year. And it's amazing when you consider just what they've been through this year with driver lineup changes, politics, and drama, and one of the most competitive midfields you've had in quite a long time. Um, a very up-and-down midfield all year long, and they've had two podium finishes. That is immense for Toro Rosso. They, they are going to be grinning for me to hear the blood of Minardi still courses through that team's veins and uh they'd be so God you love to see it. Oh you love to oh, see it. Yes. It's amazing. Here's the official result, wrapping up all the penalties one more time. Max Verstappen wins by six seconds in the end from Pierre Gasly, who again beat Lewis Hamilton in a drag race by half a tenth over the line. He was second. Carlos Sainz promoted to third off the back of the safety car penalty. Um yeah, Carlos Sainz Sr. in... Carlos Jr., I should say. My bad. Wow. Carlos Sainz Jr. in third on the podium for McLaren. Their first podium in over 2,000 days. Kimi Raikkonen fourth for Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo fourth and fifth. Teammate Antonio, Antonio Giovinazzi right behind him. Magnificent weekend for Alfa Romeo. 22 points scored. Um, phenomenal job from those boys there. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, who had already had a time penalty for yanking Kevin Magnussen off the track with a dive bomb, somehow finishes in sixth place for it. It's been a weird race, everybody. Lewis Hamilton in seventh. Uh, again, the five-second time penalty dropped him down from third all the way to seventh in the end, and he only finished a few hundreds ahead of Lando Norris in eighth for, my, for the McLaren team. Sergio Perez in ninth for Racing Point, and Danil Kvyat rounding off the points in tenth. Vittorio Rosso in the end. Kevin Magnussen eleventh for Haas. What a topsy-turvy weekend they had after having both cars in Q3 for the first time, I want to say, since Spa. I, um, yeah, but uh, I called it happening as soon as they got both cars in Q3. I was just, uh, that's the point where we're at with Haas now. We're just like, when is the other shoe going to drop? And Grosjean was actually up in the top 10 for a good chunk of the race, but he fell off massively at the very end of it. Technical issue um, at the end of the Grand Prix. Um, yeah, it sucks for Grosjean because, yeah, he, 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 it crippled him um, pretty much. Um, yeah, George Russell was 12th. One. George Russell was 12th! George Russell was 12th. <laughs> I think that's his best finish of the year, and he was 1.6 seconds off a point. 
Oh, so close. Set so far. Uh. Grosjean 13th. Alex Albon 14th after the hit with Hamilton. Um, Robert Kubica 15th a lap off the front. Four DNFs, as mentioned. Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc um, hitting each other like goofballs. Uh, Lance Stroll in 19th place. Uh, he had a suspension failure on that same lap. Unrelated incident, amazingly. But another suspension failure for Lance Stroll in, in uh, 19th. And Valtteri Bottas, who has had an oil pressure problem. And he retired on lap 51. Also, Hulkenberg was in the standings in 12th, but he dropped down to 15th after he had a five-second time penalty of his own. He overtook on the safety car conditions. Naughty boy. <laughs> silly, Nico. Silly. Just like your silly season choices. Anyway, <laughs> championship standings have just one round to go. Lewis Alton um, extends his championship lead to a near-redundant 73 points now ahead of Valtteri Bottas in second. Max Verstappen has a very good chance of locking down third in the championship. He has 260 points in third. Charles Leclerc in fourth on 249. Sebastian Vettel fifth on 230. The fight for sixth between Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz Jr. will go down to the wire at Abu Dhabi. They're both tied on 95 points. Gasly overtaking Sainz on countback for the second place. Funny how that one turned out in the end. Alex, and look who's 11 points back. Alex Albon in 8th, when it could have been so much more. Uh, I mean, 14th in the end for him. He's in 84 points. Daniel Ricciardo, best of the rest, in 9th with 54. Constructors' Championship, you know, well, if it makes you feel any better, Ferrari, you've got second place locked lock down. You know, that's nice, right? Um, yeah, Mercs have 701 points. Ferrari, 479. Red Bull, Honda... Um, on 391 and with this result McLaren have sealed fourth in the Constructors Championship they have an unassailable 49 point advantage over Renault in fifth um, because Tony was asking me about that but yeah McLaren are locked into fourth on 140 points a great season for them Renault in fifth on 91 they've got do a little bit of more work to do to hold off Toro Rosso behind them with 83 points then racing point seventh on 67. Alfa Romeo making a late charge for seventh with, with 22 points this weekend. They have 57 in eighth. Haas on, on still on 28, and George Russell's uh, 12th place still not enough to get Williams off that one point barrier. He was in 12th as mentioned, just the one point. Kubitz's points um, there down in the bottom of the board with just one point. The Formula 1 season finale. The first ever Formula 1 race in the month of December. December 1st, Abu Dhabi next weekend. The season finale under the lights in Abu Dhabi. It should be a great old mediocre time. All right. Oh, yes. And and King, you know what that means. If Reggie Jackson was Mr. October and Derek Jeter was Mr. November, whoever wins this race is going to be Mr. December. It was Hamilton. Probably. Should we get into the rest of the news, fellas? Ah, <laughs> uh, goodness. Yeah, Got a so, lot of news. So, best thing of the weekend. Uh, another great motorcycle champion, Wayne Rainey, has not ridden a bike in 26 years. If you'll recall, his career, his riding career, came to an end in a savage crash at the 1993 Masato round. Um, 
He lost the ability to walk, but now he has ridden again, and he rode at the Suzuka Sound of Engine. This is a vintage uh, cars and bicycles event, and he was riding up there with some of his peers, Eddie Lawson and Kenny Roberts Sr. Oh, yes. Uh, over over two days of, of riding. That was beautiful. And they had Takuma Aoki, another rider whose career came to a shortened end, whose career was cut short by similar circumstances, riding there, and it was so cool to see all four of them riding together. I got the picture there somewhere still. It was beautiful. It was, on a, it was on a gorgeous R1, and it was delightful to see Rainey back on a bike. Because that was, one, that was one of those incidents that was really so shocking at the time, you know, to uh, see that. Because like, this is back when bike racing was in its peak of popularity in the, ni- in the early 90s, and that was a shocking incident to watch in real time. And uh, delightful to see him back on a motorcycle again. I was seeing guys like Dario Franchitti tweet about this because they knew how much, you know, how much of an influence Rainey was. So that was awesome to see. So, you know, congrats to see. It was beautiful to see Wayne back on a bike again. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, the cams with like, so yeah, the picture is now on our, on our Discord server. Those guys in the chat, beautiful scenes. Love it. Amazing, amazing stuff. So, uh. RJ, talk to me about Macau. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, we were all thinking that there was a notable Red Bull Junior Team alumnus that had a chance to win the race. We were all thinking, right, hashtag hat tricked him is on. Hat tricked but it did, But it didn't quite turn out like that because Stan had kind of sabotaged himself in the qualifying race. Oh, yeah, he it. did. <laughs> but yeah. On a, on a weekend where it looked like Yuri Vips was going to run from pole position through the qualifying race and dominate the feature, no, it was 18-year-old Richard Fashur, who hadn't had a podium finish all this Formula 3 season, yes. had just been dropped by the Red Bull Junior team a, a, a couple of years ago, yep. mm. comes through, slipstreams past Vips, and goes on unchallenged to win on his Macau debut. Yes, not only his Macau debut, but the debut of at Macau for his team, MP Motorsport, their first Macau Grand Prix. The same MP Motorsport that still fields a car for Mahavir Ragunathan. <laughs> oh, Christ. In Formula 2. Oh, damn. Oh, God. From from Mahavir to Macau winners. Oh, that's that's actually, that's that's really awesome. Macau does have a tendency to kind of change the trajectory of uh, folks' careers. Look what it did for Dan Tictum a couple of years ago when there were still aspirations that he could get into F1. Yeah, I mean, just already we've seen the repercussions because Richard Vershaw, despite not scoring a single podium in Formula 3 this season, has said that he's not going back to Formula 3. He's going to Formula 2. Oh. And they're going to need guys to come up. Yeah, they got a lot of seats to fill in Formula 2. Yeah, including uh, including a seat for Robert Schwartzman, who we all thought was just going to lead this lights to flag going into the weekend. Uh, he picked up a puncture in the and his race was done before the end of the first lap. Yep, yeah, he was out on lap one. Sigh. Uh, though Vips strongly felt that he could have re- he could have overtaken Vershore for the win. After Vershore completed the overtake, but uh, obviously new to Formula 3 this year, part of the newer cars, they got DRS. And all weekend long, they were struggling to get the DRS system working the track. And during the race, 
the DRS system did not activate for the third lap. It actually didn't activate till I believe the last five laps of the race. Oh yeah, we were spent all this time worried about what could possibly happen, like what kind of a disaster could happen by introducing DRS to Macau, and now you don't need to worry about it because we're just not going to have DRS. It's just not going to be a thing anymore. Yes, and like after the race, obviously for sure was elated. Vips was frustrated, but there was someone else up there on the podium. Florida man Logan Sargent. Oh, for Carlin finishing third again. He is another Formula Three rookie. He only had a best finish of eighth all season, and now he's on the podium. That's wild. Just yeah. completely insane. Despite, obviously, the DRS frustrations, generally, the Macau Grand Prix, good race, good for Macau. I would say, if I had to give it a race rating, probably 6.5 out of 10, maybe 7. So no, so no Prozac's yeah. required on this one? No, it was, it was, yeah. it was above average, not, not like, great. <laughs> yeah, the, of the notable retirements, again, Schwartzman was out before the end of the first lap. Sophia Flores broke down halfway through the race. Uh, Kingsboy Ferdinand Habsburg was involved in the next game. Here is the rest of the uh, the top ten finishers. Christian Lundgaard, who's getting a Formula Two debut at Abu Dhabi, finished fourth. Alessio Larandi on his racing return in fifth. Callum Islet sits. Liam Lawson from twentieth on the grid to finish seventh, and Marcus Armstrong from seventeenth to finish eighth. David Beckman in ninth, and Frederick Vesti on his F3 debut, rounding out the top 10. And Dan Tecknum finished 13th. And nothing of value was lost. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, other highlights from the Macau weekend. Uh, goddamn Rafael Marcello, you know, now he's, a GP, now, now he's a GT driver now, won the GT race at Macau. <laughs> Yeah, talk about guys who really should have got who had missed opportunities at Formula One, but it's awesome to see him just wrecking stuff in GT cars. Speaking of wrecking stuff in GT cars, two other notable events: the qualifying race where Maro Engelin and Kevin Vanderlinda get get into a wreck, and, and they both wipe out Eduardo Mataro, who had nothing to do with it. Oh dear. Yep. And the second and the second during the main race where Earl Bamber of uh, two-time Lamar winner fame, uh, sends it from about a mile back and <laughs> passes it. into Los Boa and makes it stick. Yeah, that is definitely that is definitely up for the Scotty this year. Sam won't it. shut up about this because because okay, I'll wait for him to post a gift. It's it, post it. It's that good. I've not seen this yet, so uh, I'm actually intrigued. Cam the gif. <laughs> oh, how about how about the how about the bike race? But no, don't worry. Everybody was fine. Yeah, everybody's fine. Uh, the bike race, uh, the Macau Probably Motorcycle Grand Prix, was scheduled to go twelve laps. They only went three. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's that's, that's that's never a good sign to begin with. Like, uh, so basically, there ended up being an accident at I believe Police that that really tight corner up there where a lot of the accidents tend to happen. Uh, of course. <laughs> so the first accident, uh, guy guy falls off the bike, nearly gets mm-hmm. nearly gets destroyed by his own bike, only ends up getting grazed. 
His bike goes flying to another bike. The second bike, its fuel tank just bursts open and spills across the road surface. All good. <laughs> so, obviously, red flag immediately. They, you know, toss Speedy Dry in it to try to soak up all the fuel that's on the track. Try to sweep up most of it. Okay, restart the race. Um, we get to back to the police. Uh, someone falls down on the Speedy Dry and causes a massive pileup. Oh, God. I think it was a six-bike pileup. Like, dudes were climbing over the arm code to get out of the way of other bikes that are also crashing. Yeah, coming through at full racing speed. It, it, it was ridiculous. So, thankfully, everybody was okay. Yeah, thankfully, somehow everyone was okay. Six people had to be hospitalized. Three were, re- three were released immediately, and then the other three were held overnight for further observation. But obviously, they did not restart the race after the incident. The, the race was called. They declared a winner, but decided there was no podium because they felt like the win wasn't deserved. Wow. <laughs> we didn't we didn't deem this race worthy of Macau standards. You get no podium. Everybody on no their podium. way. <laughs> oh yes, and now we have the footage for Dre to react to. Right. Yes. So okay, so. so so you see that Porsche all the way, fourth car in line. I got him playing it now. Uh, like, I mean, oh my goodness me! <laughs> um where did that Porsche come from? Um Exactly. <laughs> What yeah. the hell? <laughs> All I can say is, I, I think uh, Augusto Farfus, the BMW driver's soul, is, uh, is oh floating somewhere. Oh my god, TV floating direction. <laughs> so, after that pass, you know, the uh, Augusto Farfus and the BMW immediately just falls off the pace. Like, he's just down, like, a second a lap slower than he normally is. He, he is literally had his soul ripped out of him. <laughs> Bamba single-handedly broke his confidence. <laughs> and TV Direction was like, we're going to show you exactly how far back Farfus is now. Oh my god. <sighs> oh, dear. Good old time. <laughs> Good old hey, times, uh, King, King, have you ever gotten mad uh, when you're like playing a video game that you just decided you want to stop? No, I've I've never been mad enough to just like I'm just gonna leave in the middle of doing something. Um, you might want to tell that to the folks at Citroen Racing because, um, well, in the World Rally Championship there is a bit of a silly season going on. Reigning champion White Tanek has just left Toyota to go to Hyundai, and it's all but confirmed now that Sebastian Auger, his predecessor as champion, six-time champion, is going to Toyota to replace Tanak for one last run of the title. It's just one problem. Auger had to deal with Citroen. It's a multi-year deal to uh, to drive for them. Um, so Citroen are cool, Auger, right? They're just going to sign someone, right? Yeah, because there is a good... There is a good uh, class, and, and keep in mind, Citroen are already committed to ending their factory involvement uh, by 2022 anyway, so we know that they are on the clock, but hey, for Okay, just, just two good gears to just like, hey, yeah. we had a good program, we had Sebastian Loeb, we had Ogier, we're just like, hey, you guys are going to remember us so fondly. But think about this, you have Yari Mati Latvala, multi-time World Rally Champion, uh, Vice Champion many years, um, Asapak Alaki, who's already on their team, and already a rally winner, you have young guys like Hayden Patton and Craig Breen that are out there, Citroen did 
we've looked over all the options and said, no, thank you. We're pulling out. <laughs> yeah. Because, quote, because, quote, there are no world-class rally drivers left to sign. Wow. Um, I, I, thought, I, I thought I I heard the news that just Citroen were just the pull-out kings. That PSA Whoa. were just the pull-out kings. Can we work this, like, phrasing, please? <laughs> oh, no, I think it's framed perfectly. <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> Oh my god, I've, I've, I've turned into Sterling Archer. Um, but, but yes, that is that, that, that is amazing. Even I know there are still world-class rally drivers available in that pool of talent. Come on now! Yeah. I mean, Christmas, it's... So, it's not like full-on manufacturer apocalypse like we had in WRS, although it did pan out great. We forgot to talk about it last week. Timmy Hansen and Andreas Backroot had an absolute cracker of a uh, of a finish to that season. Uh, but, tough to say, I think someone will buy up Citroen's team and run it as a privateer, as has been done before this decade. Yes. But, uh... Mm. Yeah, like, it's not like the Citroen's so OP that they're just gonna ban privateers from running it like a certain other manufacturer that had to pull out. The pull-out games? Yeah, because that was the thing. Oh, Volkswagen. (laughs) Yeah, no. OJ said, like, this car wasn't it. It wasn't it. Chief. Nope. Oh, damn. Oh, Cam referencing Peugeot abandoning their LMP1 program, because remember, PSA are the pull-out kings. <laughs> you said, said pull out king far too much on this show today. You know what? This might actually make like if it wasn't for Lorenzo, it might be the episode title. You're, you're, you're yeah, like, yeah, I had you, to get it in this episode because I knew there was no way it was gonna be the title. You lucky bastard! <laughs> you dodged the bullet on this one, King. You know that, right? <laughs> Uh, who's want, who wants IndyCar silly season? Because, Yay. I mean, the last dominoes of F1 are pretty much close to being settled. Red Bull retained all their drivers at Red Bull, and soon to be AlphaTauri as they are, we're just waiting on the leather Williams seat. It's not going to be Martin Truex Jr. because I don't think he has the super license for Damn it! Yep. But, yep. but, Jack Harvey, for, guest of the show, Jack Harvey, yeah. is doing a full season you, with Meyer Shank Racing, now partnered with Andretti Technologies. That's awesome. We love Jack on this show. He had some great performances last season, probably where it was top five level pace in Portland before being taken out by Ryan Hunter Ray that round. And Hunter Ray. Who is to- now his stable mate? Yeah. Jeez. Eh. Uh, that would have been a thing. It brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, you don't know Jack. Um, the name of his vlog channel, which you which, which should definitely go out and watch, because he's a nerd, but we like him on this show. So congrats to uh, our friend Jack Harvey on this one. That's delighted. Awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, just recently, uh, Ed Carpenter has signed a new driver. It's not the one you're thinking of. It's Dutchman Renus Van Kalmhout, but you might know him better as Renus VK. Runner-up in last year's Indy Lights Championship to McLaren to Aero McLaren SP's Oliver Askew. Now Renus is doing the full season, replacing Spencer Piggott in the number 21 Ed Carpenter racing car. As for a certain current Renault F1 driver, 
He was offered, Nico Hulkenberg, the chance to be Ed Carpenter's road course ringer in the 20 car. Hulkenberg was just like, I'm good. <laughs> like like I said, like Nico, Hol- Nico Hulkenberg has clearly made wise investments. He's got some premium bonds set up. He's invested in Bitcoin. You know, he's he's clearly got all his ducks lined up because clearly he has no interest in racing next year. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to end up in a commentary box at some point, be it at Sky or, or RTL or who have you, but I don't think he's racing at a high level next year. He's probably holding out for something in 2020 or 21 or even 22. Take all him, you know, he could be the ace here. of the Pujo. He could be the ace of the Pujo hypercar team for all we know. Sure, why not? I don't know. He's won Le Mans. I don't think he's going back. Why not? They could win it again. They could win, win it, it again. again. What's better than winning it, King? Winning it again. You know? <laughs> why not? <laughs> but I think yeah. that's just about it for this week's show. Am I right, King? Are you going to jump well, in something that's like 13 well, pieces in years? RJ forgot to mention it. We had a championship decider. The last one. Oh, it's the last one it, in the 305 you, in Miami. You did not miss much. Um, Kyle Busch basically pulled away. Danny Hammond lost his best shot at his first title because the car overheated. <laughs> and Martin um, Truex Jr. lost his super license. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Busch is a two-time X. champion. He strung it together over a full season. He did not do the break your leg at the Bush race in Daytona, do half a season, squeak your way into eligibility, and run rough shot through the playoffs. No, we yes, I should note that uh, the tires in NASCAR are not symmetrical, and Martin Truex Jr.'s pit crew, they put on his tires on the wrong sides of the car. They put the right sides on the left and the left sides on the right. Barnacle heads. The team that... The team that, yeah, the, the or, from the organization that won over half the races this year. <laughs> How? Somehow, the, the lower category classes were much more entertaining. Oh, yeah. God, let's not, let's not go into that. Yeah. Kyle Busch, yeah, yeah. A lower class championship where a guy who hasn't won in two years squeaked him through with the championship on the final day. Congrats, Matt Crafton. You absolutely detonated the playoff format. You love to see it. <laughs> love to see it. Yeah, love to see it. And, and that- the big NASCAR news story of today. Seven-time champion, yes, seven-time champion, Jimmy Johnson yes. announced that 2020 will be his last full-time season in NASCAR. <laughs> Circling it back to the end of the Alien era, this is kind of like NASCAR's been going through that for a while, mm. and now a seven-time world champion is stepping away at the end of next season. I hope they have a plan and action in place to turn this around. I hope they do. Jimmy Johnson is motorsport royalty. Um, no matter which series he's racing, he is a well-known name. He's one of the greats in NASCAR, and that's a that's a damn shame. I hope he has one last big run at him to, to win another t- the, the, the quest for eight and what will be the final chapter in that quest. So, uh, Fingers crossed for him on that one, certainly. Fingers crossed he wins the title and walks away. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm down for all of that <laughs> shit. To a Rossberg. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, I'm out. Basically. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Um, but yeah. Don't we got anything this weekend, really, have we? Oh, we got a big one this weekend. Oh, right, God. RJ? 
Oh, we do. What That's is it? right. And we we put the spicy curry bet on the Super GT DTM Dream oh, Race yes. for Fuji Speedway. The Dream Race. The Dream Race. Which will be streamed on DTM's new streaming platform, which is free to sign up for. Oh, uh, God. What else, we, what else have we got this weekend? No Formula One. Well, we talked about it in episode 222, Formula oh, E. Yes. Season debut. Yes, in yes. Saudi Arabia, in Riyadh. <laughs> the the formerly in Crown Jewel. Listen to episode two twenty two. Yes, please listen to episode two twenty two on that. And on a quick personal side note before I wrap it up, shout out to everybody that's been listening into our MotoGP shows all year long. It's been a pleasure talking over the season with many of you guys on the social medias and on the internet. It's it's been a blast. It really has. And Lewis, I know you're listening. Hope you did you proud, buddy. Um, it's not. It, it's never. It's never been quite the same without you here. Please come back, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's ascended to other things. To now. great things. To great things, and I couldn't be prouder of him. You, I've spoken many a times about what a great friend he is, and now incredibly helpful he is he's still editing the formulary episode um <laughs> that's going to be coming out probably on, on probably on friday or saturday um the man's a total legend we love him and it's been hard as hell doing moto gp without him because he was my rock on, on on bike live and it and i just hope i did him justice over the course of the year and i hope you guys enjoyed it as, as much as i did so thanks to that everybody um thanks everyone for listening obviously more moto gp talk probably when the when the test at Haref takes place but because there wasn't an awful lot to take out take away from valencia's testing maverick vinyardes was fast he's always fast in tests and we're destroying here. all the new hondas yeah and every honda guard <laughs> pretty much crashed at some point all the repsol hondas got obliterated you love to see it and then a prettier caught fire that was always fun and a prettier caught fire and then dream and then he was like fuck it i'm going home <laughs> basically spit, spit his dummy out it was beautiful you love to see it anyway I've been Andre Harrison. Thanks very much for listening. Basically, you can find us one more time. YouTube.com and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. At Ryan Eric King. At RJ O'Connell and at Harrison 101 HD if you want to follow me. Um, you can check out my website for all my written content I've put over in the month of November. Uh, season reviews, ask me anything. Jorge Lorenzo's retirement. Some good stuff over there. Check it out. Motorsport101.com. Click the blog section if you want to read some of our stuff on that it's a great time i highly recommend it and if you really like this you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 um five dollars gets you early access to all of our shows um before before they go out to the public um again 10 bucks gets you not only that but also entry into our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they go out um shout out as well to ollie to james to cam and to steve for, for sticking in and listening in with us much appreciated and a special shout out as well over a hundred of you have now followed us on spotify our new platform was also thanks to everyone that's been listening in over there as well we love you guys over two and a half thousand plays on spotify since joining over there in september so thank you all very much for that it's very much appreciated um i've been andre harrison they've been rj o'connell and ryan king we'll be back next week to have some dreams of the dream race until then thanks for listening and goodbye sayonara later y'all bye